We live in a world full of gray area. Sexual boundaries, lust, homosexuality, marriage, premarital sex, and adultery. But what does God have to say about it? We are continuing our series, Too Many Shades of Grey, uh, and I just want to say this. In week one, we talked about we've got to do way better with marriage. Uh, we talked about how uh, no marriage should have pornography in it. No marriage uh, is open for adultery that is out of bounds. Uh, we've done a poor job as the church and as people in marriage uh, with divorce, and, and it's become too commonplace, and God uh, hates divorce. We said why he hates it is because the Bible actually says, I gave Israel their certificate of divorce. So God is saying, I hate it, I know the pain, because I know what it's like when somebody loves you, and they walk away from you, and you have to say, okay, go ahead, I'm writing you off. Okay, so we talked about that, and we said we need to do better, and uh, lift up uh, a better example of marriage for this world. Now today, we're going to look at a biblical definition of marriage, and I want to say that it's a, a very hot topic. I mean, uh, society is talking about it. It's part of a national election. It's also part of a, a vote in the state of Minnesota. I want to be very clear today, and I want to just say to you that uh, I'm probably preaching something that a good majority of people in the church are going to be like, come on, Pastor Rob, preach it. And you're going to be thinking like, I really want to clap for this. I really want to shout. I want to say amen. And you got to understand that I want it to be within the context and I want it to be done in the right spirit. If you go too far, I will throw the flag on you. All right? I will call you on excessive celebration and taunting. Okay? Sometimes it's easy to taunt people when it's not our sin, it's not our issue. Okay? But on the other hand of that, there might be a few of you that are like, Oh, boy, I've loved this church. If he says the wrong thing, we are walking, all right? We are out of here. I understand that, and I will throw the flag on you in the way that I think that's unsportsmanlike conduct. I think you should listen to this and listen to it all the way. Even if you disagree with me, we need to dialogue. We need to be involved with each other. We need to hear each other out. We need to have those opportunities where we can hear what each other is thinking. And so I've got the flag up here. I wore stripes to remind you, and I want (laughs) to... Warn you that I am better than the replacement refs, okay? All right, so. All right. Real quick, foundational. The Bible is very clear that marriage is for one man, one woman. There's no other form that's endorsed. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 24 through 25, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man is, and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. God started this. There's no other form endorsed. And I want to let you know that uh, in this current society that we have, there's a vote going on, and it's going to be a vote yes or no, uh, about this. That's why it's so hot to us. God, God made marriage. Everything that we see in society and in history is he made it up. There's no other older document than the word of God that says anything about marriage. God made it up. It's his. So now with that being said, I want to address a couple of things about this. First of all, should we even be involved in politics? Should we even be involved in a vote? I mean, there's a vote that's out there. Should marriage be defined as one man, one woman, like the Bible would say it would be? 
A yes vote says we affirm that and we want marriage to stay the way that it's been, one man, one woman, okay? And so should we even be involved in this? And I want to say this, our hope is not the vote, okay? Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus, okay? Our hope is not the vote, but we get to vote. And if we were doing a better job as the church, something like this probably wouldn't even come up as a vote right now, okay? And I mean the whole church is just not doing very well at permeating society. And the Bible says that we are called to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. I believe that we should be involved in politics, involved in our society, involved in our culture in a healthy way because we are called to be the salt of society. Now, some of us think of salt right now in this way. We think we should make society taste better because that's how we use salt. But that's not the context that Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. When he was talking about salt, he was saying, you are here to preserve culture. Salt was there before there were refrigerators. Before we had refrigerators, which are an amazing invention, the way that they would keep things from rotting was to cover them with salt. Now, let me just explain this to you because I did some research on this. Food is spoiled when certain microorganisms begin to reproduce and, and digest its surface, releasing harmful toxins as byproducts of their metabolic process. Sometimes these microorganisms themselves, mostly bacteria and fungus, present a risk to humans as ingesting them is an invitation to reproduce within the host body. Therefore, to preserve food, one must ensure that it is difficult or impossible for microorganisms to re reproduce or survive in it. High salt mixtures preserve food because they are absorbent relative to the internal fluid of the microorganisms, causing them to shrivel up and eventually die. When a layer of high salt substance is used to preserve food, the food is protected from microbial invasions. This is a more sophisticated way to preserve food than the oldest method, simply letting it dry out. Okay, so Jesus was calling us to be the salt of the earth. He said the world is going to get rotten. The world is going to disintegrate. There are, if you will, spiritual organisms, spiritual things that are going to latch onto their life. And I want you to go out and be the salt of the earth. And you are there to preserve goodness. And if we're called to be the salt of the earth and we're given an opportunity to preserve goodness, it doesn't mean that we can make people behave good because they're still going to do what they want to do. But if we have an opportunity to preserve goodness like salt, we should be out there being salt. We should help preserve good things because if we don't, the world will get rotten. That's why our voice is needed. We are, we are a needed voice. The salt is needed on issues like abortion, war, poverty, marriage, moral standards. It's our calling. It's our calling. Now you say, well, what happens if the vote goes the wrong way? Our hope is not in the vote. Our hope is in Jesus, and we'll still keep preaching the truth and trying to convince as many people to be salt and hopefully changing society, absorbing the bad of society and turning it for good and saying we can live better than this, okay? So we are called to be salt in this arena. Now with the vote, just so you know this very clearly in the state of Minnesota, a yes vote is a vote for biblical marriage. 
A no vote is a vote for a new definition. A blank vote equals a no vote, okay? Now, you got to understand that a blank vote equals a no vote. You say, well, I don't know what to vote on. I won't vote. That's a no vote. And it has to have 50% or more yeses to be passed. Because anytime you amend the Constitution, it has to be a majority of people voting for it, not against it. That's why they make the no vote against it. All right, now you, you got to understand this. Uh, you probably have seen the commercials that are on TV, and almost all of them are no vote commercials. And I think it's interesting they picked actors with the most Minnesota accents. Have you know that? noticed that? It's like, I just want to say that I'm for uh, marriage for anyone. <laughs> that their marriage should go for anybody. Vote no, okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? It's like, are you kidding me? Where did they find these people? They're North Dakotans, you know? I mean, I don't know. Man, and then they always put like a cute couple on there like, I think marriage should be for everybody because my wife and I have been married so many years. You know, they never show you Castro and Market Street in San Francisco. They never show you that where right now, grown men and women can walk around 100% naked without being arrested at Castro and Market Street. And if you don't believe me, uh, go there and see it and for yourself. Because the only law that you're breaking there by being naked is if you sit down on a chair without a towel on your chair. And I have proof of this that people are right now at Castro and Market in San Francisco walking around 100% naked in our country. They don't show you that. They show you the couple with the World War II vet that's like, man, it should be for everybody. And they don't show you where it's heading. You know, they don't show you that. Now, the, you say, well, where are the yes commercials and where's the yes support and I got to say this a lot of people have not put out yes signs because it's safer now which is kind of crazy it's safer to put out a no sign than a yes sign I mean your odds of being vandalized with a no sign are pretty small but you put out a yes sign and all of a sudden people are vandalizing it people are stealing it people are knocking it down egging your house and you know this there's a lot of people that are like "Eh, I'm just gonna vote yes and not put out a yes sign if you think I'm wrong with that In the state of California, they said it was 38% for it, yes, and 55% no. And yet in the state of California, when people were in the privacy of the polling booth, they passed to keep marriage one man, one woman. That's California, okay? Now, the crazy thing is, and this is the truth, in all the states that this has passed, seven out of 10 people vote for marriage, they vote for the biblical definition because you're probably thinking, well, we're, we're like the minority here. We're, I don't know if we're going to win this thing. I don't know if, if biblical definition of marriage will be defended. In the privacy of the booth, seven out of 10 vote for it because remember, a blank vote is a no vote and it still has won in every state that it's been voted on. Now, here's the thing. Experts think that the state of Minnesota could be the first place where uh, this is actually defeated. And you say, why would they believe that? Jesse Ventura, Al Franken, need I say more? All right, so I'm just saying, you know, they're like, we vote for the wrestler. We vote for the comedian. We might vote for this. So they're thinking, you never know. That's kind of insulting to us, but it is. You know, you look at some of the things that we've done. Now, should it even be a vote? Should it even be a vote? That's the question. Should the church be involved? Should it even be a vote in our society? The famous philosopher Aristotle said this. He said, the first duty of a wise legislator is to define and regulate marriage. This is a guy that we'd quote as being brilliant. 
He said the first duty is to define and regulate marriage. He wrote, since the legislator should begin by considering how the frames of the children whom he is rearing may be as good as possible, his first care will be about marriage. At what age should his citizens marry and who are fit to marry? So Aristotle was saying that. Matter of fact, if you look at the case of government, a government should restrain evil, bring good to society, and bring order to society. And voting on this would say, we're going to restrain evil. We're going to make sure that marriage is defined as one man, one woman, because there's so many other implications. But one of those is we want to make sure that men are responsible for the children that they bring onto this planet. Because in most cultures where you tear down marriage and you make it not important, men have children all over the place and don't take responsibility. And we need children raised in home by men that will take the responsibility to raise their children. It will bring good to society because marriage adds the most stability to a society. And it will bring order to society because it reminds us who's married and who's not. We wear wedding rings or we understand who's married and who's not. Now you might say, does this really rise to the level of importance of a constitutional amendment? And I thought that too. Okay, should it really go there? Well, can I tell you this? Section 12 of Article 13 was passed by voters in 1998 in the state of Minnesota. It says this. Hunting and fishing and the taking of game and fish are a valued part of our heritage that shall be forever preserved for the people and shall be managed by law and regulation for the public good. So if we have a constitutional amendment that says hunting and fishing should be protected, I think marriage is at least as important as walleyes and whitetails, okay? All right. You can clap on that. I won't throw the flag. All right. Okay? I'm just saying. You say, well, should government really be limiting marriage? I'll, you know, well, think about it. Government has been limiting marriage all along ever since the founding of our country. Uh, they said, there's no polygamy. We're not going to tolerate that. They said, there'll be no incest. That's going to be against the law. They said, there'll be no bestiality. That's going to be against the law. They said, we will not recognize a homosexual union as a marriage. We're not going to recognize this. And you say, well, why'd you have to list all these things? Who's going there? Okay, the United States rejected Utah seven times from becoming a state until they put in their constitution, you can't have polygamy. So our country got involved with defining marriage, and they said, okay, Utah, we like you, you know? We want you to join us, but you can't have polygamy, and we're going to force you to put that in your constitution if you want to be a state. So they got involved with it. And you say, but is that really happening today? In Brazil, just happened, three people were granted a civil union because they have marriages and civil unions. One man, two women, they said, they're a good union, we endorse this, and they are now considered the same as a marriage. Three people. So it's happening. It's happening around the world. You say, well, what about incest? Why'd you bring that up? Notebook director Nick Casavetz, I probably butchered his name. I'm not a fan anyway. So uh, he's doing a movie on incest, but he wrote, he did the notebook, okay? And here's what he said. Who cares? Love who you want. Isn't that what we say with gay marriage anyway? Love who you want. That's what's going on right now in society. Bestiality. Why would I bring that up? An Arizona couple was arrested for soliciting an animal to have sex with on Craigslist and was recently given probation. You think, oh, that stuff doesn't happen. Yes, it does. They were met by an undercover cop who arrested them and they received probation. I'm telling you what, you hear things like this and you realize this world needs some salt. Okay? Arizona court has, has held that there's no interest in promoting anything other than one man, one woman because they need citizens and because any other union cannot uh, create citizens, they have no interest in it. 
New York Appeals Court held that this is not discrimination. They said everyone's free to marry anyone of the opposite sex. Everyone is free to do that. We're not holding that away from anybody, so it's not discrimination. You might hear this, love is love and belongs to everybody. What if notebook guy gets to define it? And then he says, love is love and belongs to everybody. Incest, it's okay. Worse yet, what if Gawker's West Coast editor gets to define it? Because he said his studies have shown that pedophiles are just wired that way. It's their orientation. They're wired that way. You can't change them. We need to learn to deal with it. So what if he gets to redefine marriage? Because love is love and belongs to everybody. Who gets to define it? You think about this. Pyotr Sorokin, again, probably butchered his name. He's the founder of sociology department at Harvard. Not a bad school, but Harvard, all right? He says, once marriage is no longer one thing, but another thing, there's nothing to stop it from becoming everything. That's why. So we've got to say it's one thing. It's not another thing. It's one thing. And when we look in history, it's always been one thing. And God's the one that invented it. The benefits of marriage of one man and one woman are so much that I'd have to do another entire sermon on that. I don't have time to go into all this, but let me just tell you this. British anthropologist J.D. Unwin studied the historical decline of 86 countries and found that strict marital monogamy was essential to the social energy and growth and society, no society flourished for more than three generations without it. If a society didn't say it's one man, one woman, and that's our strict definition, they didn't last more than three generations until they fell by the wayside. It's important to hold on to this. One more well-respected philosopher, Plato, he said this, with male with male and female with female. He said, it's contrary to nature. Not quoting the Bible. He said, it's just contrary. This is a brilliant person, Plato. We hear all about Plato, Aristotle, different people. And he said, it's contrary to nature, and it's impelled by people's slavery to pleasure. So what do we say in marriages? I'm saying this, marriage is God's invention. Genesis 2, we already read it, but let me read it again. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he gave Adam, he said, there's no suitable helpmate for you. He gave him one woman. He didn't say, Adam, there's no suitable helper for you. I'm going to make you another guy to hang out with. God looked around and said, I'm going to make you one woman. And he didn't say, Adam, you don't have anybody to hang out with. I'll make you a herd of women. That would be a bad idea. All right, so he didn't say, I'm going to do that. All right, he said, one, 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 okay? This is what God did. And so God created it, and he said, here's what I'm going to do. And he said, the reasons listed for this, Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So he's saying, part of my creation in having a man and a woman together is so they'll procreate, okay? Now, it's not limited to this, but it's not less than that. Did you hear that? It's not limited. There's more to marriage than procreation, but it's not less than that. Marriage never goes less than procreation. That's kind of like the bottom line, but it goes more than that that we'll see, all right? Interestingly, in Jewish culture, if you weren't married by the age of 20, 
You were thought to be disobeying Genesis chapter one. That's why you have that story about the Jewish mother, like, when are you gonna get married and have kids? You know, come on, get married and have kids, get married and have kids. If it wasn't for the things of the Lord, when you passed age 20, they were like, you are disobeying God. We need to get you married so you can have kids and obey Genesis chapter one. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Second reason was to create the one flesh union that we read about in Genesis chapter two. It's a mystery. It's a mystery that God says, I take a man and a woman, and when they come together in the sexual act, there's a one flesh uniting that God does. Nobody else does. God does that. And he says there's a mystery that two become one. We don't understand it all the way, but he says, I bind you together. That's why he warns us against adultery, and he says, don't be joined together with another person that's not your spouse, because you're taking your body, and you're creating another one flesh union, and you're perverting that, and I have a mystery here with a one flesh union, and I want you to be united in that. And so there's a mystery to this, and and I want to tell you this. This is very clear. Listen to this. Marriage is a one flesh union and not a sexual, romantic, domestic partnership. Think about it. It's not a sexual, romantic, domestic partnership that the world would make you think it is. It is a one flesh union mystery that we don't understand all the way, but God does something and he binds people together. Third thing about marriage is it's a living illustration. Ephesians chapter 5, verses, starting verse 25, it says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. And then in verse 31 and 32, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's that one flesh union. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So somehow in the marriage that we're living right now, if you're married, your marriage is a small m marriage, small m. And somehow it's just an illustration of a big M marriage that God is trying to say, Christ loves the church so much. And and just to show you this, you've got marriage going on here, but it doesn't even come close, but it's an illustration. I'm trying to help you understand it. You're going to understand this profound mystery. And as you're on earth, I want you to be an example to society of how much Christ loves the church. And so that's why, again, when we divorce and have serial marriages and we're in and we're out, we're doing that, all that, we're again, we're breaking down the example and the illustration. The Bible ends with a saying that the spirit and the bride say come and the spirit is representing the groom and the bride is representing the church. And so the Bible starts in Genesis with a marriage and ends in Revelation with a marriage. He's saying there's something in between here and as you live out marriage, you're living out this illustration that's here. Now, even though we're not living up to the ideal, should we destroy it? Because people say, well, we're doing a terrible job. Divorce rate in the church is terrible. It's terrible, terrible. I mean, who cares? I've heard people say, well, marriage is like so miserable. Who cares if, if gay people get married? Who cares? Okay, let me just illustrate this. Boundary Water Canoe Area. We love that place. If you've ever been there, it's amazing. If you've not, it needs to be on your bucket list, Okay. You go out to the Boundary Water Canoe area, it's absolutely beautiful. It's, they've kept all motors out. They've kept it uh, just perfect like it was. And you go up there and you see the eagles. I remember once I was paddling into this little bay and there was a moose in the water next to me. And there were three bald eagles. I was like, 
this is like a, a postcard. This is incredible. I mean, this is how Disney would do it if Disney did it. I mean, it was amazing. It was just incredible. And so here's the thing. People would say, well, progress. Progress is coming along, and we don't have nature. We need to do things, and we don't need those places set aside like they originally were. Let's have progress. No. In light of progress, we say, you know what? Let's protect the beauty. Let's set aside this and say it's special. We're going to protect it. Even if society's concrete jungle everywhere, we're going to make sure that we protect the boundary waters. We're going to make sure that we protect Glacier National. We're going to make sure that we protect Yellowstone. Why? Because we're going to protect the ideal. We're going to protect it in its purest form. There's incredible laws about going into the boundary waters and all these things. And I love what Dan Olson said about this. He's a Minneapolis school administrator. He said, wilderness and marriage defenders have this in common. They agree that the best way to preserve something is not redefinition, but restoration. I have never felt closer to tree huggers in all my life. (laughs) Isn't it crazy? Liberals will say, there's two birds there. Protect the birds. When it comes to marriage, they're like, bulldoze, bulldoze, bulldoze. I mean, it's just crazy. Let's protect the birds. Let's protect marriage. Let's protect the forest. Let's protect marriage. Now listen, because it's a symbol of God's love for the church, that's why I believe it's an issue that's under attack. Let me say this. Civil unions would overwhelmingly pass. Studies have shown that if uh, the homosexual lobby would say we want civil unions only, studies have shown it would pass overwhelming. The church is not salty enough to hold off that argument right now. But it's interesting, they don't want to go for civil unions. They want to go for marriage. Now, why would they want to do that? Because I really believe that when this is done, if we accept a homosexual marriage as marriage, we will be marginalized as a church. If you don't believe me, ask Dan Cathy of Chick-fil-A. He makes a statement. It's like, get out of Chicago. Get out of Boston. And they're all up in arms. If you don't believe me, the Huffington Post has a list of anti-gay celebrities that they post out to all of Hollywood so you can know who's for you and who's against you. People plan to marginalize people that don't believe in this by calling them bigots, homophobes, uh, just that we use discrimination. Our own president, President Obama, did this in a tweet in in his Twitter account. He said, fact, Paul Ryan supports writing discrimination into the Constitution with an amendment banning gay marriage. Now think about this. He's using civil rights rhetoric in order to stigmatize and marginalize Christians. Paul Ryan doesn't say, I want to discriminate. He just says, I want to defend what the church has stood for forever. And so instead, our own president takes it and uses a word with a barb on it, discriminate. And we're going to be there. If you don't believe it, pastors will be next, the church will be next, and it's just an attack. Because again, civil unions would overwhelmingly pass. They could have all the rights that marriages have. Marriage could be left in the church, but they don't want civil unions. They want marriage because there's a spiritual attack behind this. Now, some people say, Jesus said nothing about this. That is not true. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, it says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. 
Jesus affirms in his conversation about marriage, one man, one woman, God's ideal. Every illustration he uses about marriage is one man, one woman. Every issue that he uses for lust is man, woman. He doesn't say when a guy is lusting after a guy. He doesn't say that. It's when a man lusts after a woman in his heart. He says this. He uses illustrations of virgins. I don't have time to expound upon this, but this just hit me as I was preparing for this. Um, Virginity is taught and preached by the church. Yet when you leave the biblical definition of marriage and you go into the homosexual area, it's not preached. No one would preach virginity. It's explore, experiment, try, figure it out, go for it, no bounds. Virginity is looked down upon. Matter of fact, if you think about this, uh, also in this environment, pornography, lust is encouraged and part of that environment. And yet the Bible is very clear to flee sexual immorality. Get away from it. Stay away from it. How do you preach that in a society that endorses anything goes? You don't. That's why it's standing against the things of God. So what's our response to all this? This is the key thing. Don't miss this. Number one, we have to be the salt, and we need to get saltier. We need to get saltier. You need to be out there. You need to know why you believe what you believe. You are called to be salt in your workplace, and a lot of you don't even know how to defend it. I'll be honest. In some ways, I didn't know how to defend this. But now that we know, we have to go out and be the salt in this world and speak up. We need to defend the truth here. This is God's invention, This is our issue. You talk about separation of church and state. The state is taking God's issue and they're trying to redefine this. And I'm just as strong on this as if if they were saying eating at McDonald's was communion. If they said that as a society, they said, you know what? Communion is no longer the cup and the bread. If you eat at McDonald's, that's communion. I would stand up and say, no. Communion belongs to the church. It's the cup and the bread and don't make it McDonald's. And so I'm going to stand up on this one and say, no, marriage is one man, one woman. God invented it. It belongs to the church. We have to defend it. We have to defend this. Now, with this, we're not going to be, uh, as we're out there defending, don't think we're going to, you know, just be jerks about it. We don't want to be jerks. And we're not hate mongers. You know, people say, well, you're a homophobe, you're a hate monger. No, no, no. If I hated you, I would never tell you the truth. If I hated you, I would let you make the wrong turn. That's what I'd do if I hated you, but because I love you, I, am, I, I beg you to turn from this and to come to the things of God. And so I, we love people by telling them the truth. Now, this one is tough. Listen to this. Listen to this. Uh, before I get to that one, don't be a jerk and don't threaten to move to Canada if this loses in the polling place either because Canada's worse than Minnesota. Anyway, so just don't do that. All right, but one more. All right, this one's tough. The Bible condemns the act, not the orientation or attraction. Listen to this. This might make people mad. Don't make me throw the flag at you, all right? But the Bible condemns the act, not the orientation or attraction. Just because we have a desire to do something sinful doesn't mean it's right. But we all battle. There's enough brokenness in all of us that we have sinful tendencies and sinful desires, all of us. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6 talks about the action, not the desire. Really, seriously, one pastor said, all men are prone to polygamy. 
That's what he said. He said, all men are prone to polygamy. They all have a wandering mind and lustful thoughts, and it's the fact that they're bound in a marriage. And some ladies are like, is that true about you? And the guy's going, not me, liar. Okay, but... (laughs) All men are prone to that lust factor, and you know, their eyes wander. Their eyes wander. And it's the fact that society says, be true to your vow. And he says, so you fight against that wandering or adultery, and there's other things. And so we fight against that. And, and so we all have desires that have to be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the desire or the orientation is not the, the sin. The sin is acting out on it. And Eve Tushnet, and I, I apologize if I said her name wrong, she says, I'm a Christian with same-sex attraction, living celibate, realizing that my call to be obedient to Jesus Christ is stronger than my attraction or orientation. I can support that. I can support that. And with that, at River Valley Church, we will counsel all people the same. All people. All of us need to rise to God's standards in every area of our lives, regardless of what we struggle to. And I will say, you know, all of us need to go to his ideal, not ours. Let's not redefine the level of holiness that God has called us to. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Man, the God of grace gives us all the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, to say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God. And that applies to all people, no matter what orientation they have. So at River Valley, we commit, number one, to no name-calling. We will love all people where they are, but we will hold each other accountable for what the Bible calls sin. We know that God has a different view on sin than popular culture. We also admit that we can be that we cannot be a church that is accepting and accommodating of sin, but a church that loves people and will live in the tension of calling people to live godly while loving them where they are. Last thing, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Apostle Paul says this. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear what he's saying there. This amazing verse here, verse 11. That's what some of you were. (laughs) That's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I thank God we don't have to raise our hands and say, this is what I did, this is my sin, this is how bad I was. Maybe God can take your testimony and use it for his glory and you'll help rescue others from the pain that you were in. But we don't have to say that. But we know, looking around this room, that's what we were. That's what we were. That's what we were. And he says, you've been forgiven, you've been washed, and this is the heart of Christianity. Anyone that puts their trust 
in Jesus and turns from their practice, renouncing their sin, God justifies them and puts them in our family, the family of God. And he says, man, they're going to have struggles. They're going to have issues. I love what Cy Rogers said. He's a guy that got set free from homosexuality and he's pretty flamboyant. And he says, I still have some residual on me, okay? Deal with it. (laughs) I love that. We just love, we love, we love. We say, God, help us no matter what we're struggling with to move us forward, to move us forward, to move us forward so we can live up to your ideal, your ideal, no matter what it is. Some of us could amen this sermon because it's not an issue we struggle with. But there could be other things that we'd be hanging our head in shame saying that hit me right between the eyes. Let's love everyone and say we will call all to the level of holiness that God has for all of us. We'll love everyone, but we'll call everyone to that level of holiness that God has for us. Can we pray real quick and bow our heads all across this place? Lord Jesus, we just pray that we would be that way. We would live that way. We take it very serious, first of all, to be salt, very serious to be godly examples of what it is for Christ to love the church. We stand true to your word, calling everything that you call sin, but loving everyone and saying, welcome, join us. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. We know you're not perfect, but we ask you to turn from your sin, and we invite you to move forward with the grace of God that only he can give for us to overcome the struggles we face. So help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be that kind of church, to live strong, black and white, in a world that has way too many shades of gray. Give us that strength to live that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.